we've been seeing in recent weeks that in this particular part of 1 Peter, that Peter is speaking about the privileges of knowing the Lord and belonging to the Lord's people. And uh, we've said a number of times that if we are believers, sometimes we can just see our Christian lives as those of duty rather than privilege. But we must not miss that we already enjoy incredible privileges if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are his. Galatians 3.9 puts it so well, so then those who are of faith are blessed. If you are in Christ tonight, you are blessed and blessed indeed. And Peter really has been drawing this out and he speaks about how these spiritual privileges come to us only in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 4. And he speaks how that by God's grace we came to Christ for salvation and every blessing comes to us in and through Jesus Christ alone. And the emphasis is to come to Christ, to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ, to rest in him. And as the believer comes in that way, they come to a living stone, the cornerstone in the kingdom that the Lord is building. And a living stone, that picture of stone, a rich messianic concept, and speaks of how Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead. He's alive forevermore. He is the conqueror of death. And as he's alive, he has living relationships with living people. He is life. He gives life. He gives his own life to all who believe. But then as Peter goes on, he then speaks about how this, this wonderful Savior, this living stone, the perfect cornerstone in God's building of his eternal house, the one who alone can give life, was rejected by men. And in their blindness, in their ignorance, in their arrogance, they came to the conclusion that Jesus was not adequate for them. That he did not meet their plans and their calculations, and so they rejected him, they crucified him. question is tonight, as you have come along, do you reject Christ? As he is laid before you in the scriptures, do you reject him? You see, the Lord Jesus is in fact the chosen one and the precious one. Precious in the sight of God. He is God's appointed deliverer. He is the savior. He is the elect one. He is precious above all to God. God said he is the perfect cornerstone. It is only in him that we can know true life. And so again, I ask you, do you know that life that is there only in Christ? You know, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... The Bible says that you are without hope, that you are without God in this world, that you are a sinner and that you face a lost eternity. But here is Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. And through his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, you can be forgiven. You can be brought to that place where you are right with God where you can know these incredible privileges for yourself, where you can know true life. The world says, come here and we will give you life and promises so much but delivers so little. Christ is true life. And if you come to him, dear friends, you will find true satisfaction for your soul. I wonder tonight if you would believe, if you would see that this one, this promised one, this reality of the Lord Jesus, he is the saviour. 
and the privilege of coming to Christ, the first privilege we saw in verse 5, was that we are then, as we believe and are granted to believe by sovereign grace, united to Christ. We have been given eternal life. The very life of Christ exists in us. We are united to him. As one explains, Christ lives through you. He loves through you. He speaks through you. He serves through you. His life in you is eternal, so you'll never lose it. And as these living stones, we are being built up a spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house, and the cornerstone is Christ. And God dwells, as we have explained before, in the hearts of his redeemed people, both individually and when we come together collectively. And we've seen how believers are at the very heart and center of what God is doing in the world. The temple of the new covenant, a spiritual temple made up of those that God is calling from all nations to salvation in Christ. It's a stunning picture. And then we saw this second privilege, which is the access to God that we have in terms of the holy priesthood. Peter explains that we're not just God's building and activity in the world, but we serve as his priests before the world. Once we're not a people, but are now the people of God, precious to God, and have this stunning access to God. And uh, last time we looked at the characteristics of a priest in the Old Testament and how they pointed us to what we have been given and made as a new covenant holy priesthood. And it's incredible because in those ways we too are priests by sovereign grace, chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be his own. We've been cleansed of sin through the saving work of Christ upon the cross. We are made alive in him through the miracle of regeneration. We are clothed for service and acceptance with the garment of the righteousness of Christ. We're anointed with power by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, prepared for duty through God-given gifts and instruction, called to obedience through the ministry of the Spirit of God in sanctification. And we saw, didn't we, that we are made submissive to the Word as God gives us desire for the truth, love for the truth. And as believers, we have been brought to walk with God in communion and fellowship. And as we walk in that way, we are to have an impact on sinners as we live for the glory of God, commend Christ, being lights in a very dark world, messengers of the Lord, given to speak his truth and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And tonight I want to develop that further and to look at the rest of that verse where it speaks about a holy priesthood. And then Peter says in verse 5, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because as we've looked at what we've been made, we've got to ask the question, well, what do we do as priests? What does that actually look like? We've got this incredible privilege, all of grace, given to us of the Lord, the believer, as part of that holy priesthood. But what are we meant to do as those appointed in that way? And Peter says, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the primary function of the Old Testament priest was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. 
And they served in the temple as those who had uh, brought the sacrifice as prescribed and laid out in all of the requirements in the word. And you know, we saw even this morning when we gathered around the Lord's table, the lamb had to be blameless and spotless without blemish. And so the sacrifices that were brought, they couldn't violate God's commands. That was what had cost Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, their lives because they did their own thing. The sacrifice wasn't in line with God's requirements and so it wasn't acceptable. And then, of course, all the types and the shadows, the Lord Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And he fulfills the sacrificial system and Hebrews says that it's rendered obsolete. And so those old covenant sacrifices ceased because the ultimate one had come in Jesus. And Peter then tells us that the only sacrifices remaining are spiritual sacrifices. That the true priesthood is no longer of Aaron's line through the tribe of Levi, but a spiritual priesthood, a holy priesthood made up of blood-bought, redeemed members of the church of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. And we have stunning privileges if we are the Lord's tonight. We have access to God's presence, all these things before us. But we also have the serious responsibility that we are to offer what is acceptable to God. And you say, well, how? How do we do that? Well, verse 5. Spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The only way for acceptance with God to bring what is acceptable to him is through Jesus Christ alone. He's the one mediator. He is the one who gives sinners like me and like you access to God. It is only in Christ that we can enter. It's only as we come in him, in his name, pleading his person, pleading his work. When we come consistent with his will, does it please God? Friends, if we were to offer uh, apparent sacrifices to God on the basis of our own merit, they'd be unacceptable to him. In fact, they would be repugnant to him. And what makes these spiritual sacrifices precious to God and a sweet-smelling aroma is that they are offered through his Son. And our spiritual sacrifices are carried to the Father through our great high priest who sanctifies them, not least our worship. And so there is something incredible that is taking place because apart from Christ, our worship or whatever other spiritual sacrifices we bring would not be acceptable to God. It is only in Christ. And they have to be consistent with his person and his work. It must fit his plan. It must be conformed to his purpose as revealed in his word. And so the spiritual sacrifices that Peter is speaking about, they're only accepted in Christ, consistent with his will and his work, with the glory and honor of God at the forefront. And so then we ask the question, well, how do we know whether our spiritual sacrifices in Christ are in accordance with his will and honor God. How do we know that? Well, it's very simple. They are the things that are taught in the scriptures. God has revealed to us what we are to offer in Christ and through his work in our lives. And I want to share a number with you from the word of God so that you can see what these spiritual sacrifices are to be offered in Christ, honoring Christ, glorifying God. First one is this, the spiritual sacrifice of our bodies. 
Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's speaking of God's merciful, gracious, saving work to sinners, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so Paul says that due to the mercy and grace of God given to you, if you're a believer, as Peter says, part of that holy priesthood, the Lord wants you to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That is reasonable spiritual service. And so as a believer, a new covenant priest, as it were, you're involved in worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord, and it begins with presenting your body as a living and holy sacrifice. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means all of your human faculties all offered to him. Every part you give it to him. You know, Paul goes on to highlight the mind in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the Lord wants all of you. Mind, feet, hands, eyes, mouth, all of it for his glory. In Romans 6, Paul speaks about the unbeliever in sin, yielding their members, their bodies, as servants of sin. They serve sin. But for the believer, they've been made new, they've been delivered, they are made servants of righteousness. And Paul says, believer, don't yield your members, your body, as servants of unrighteousness, whether it be your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your hands, your feet, whatever, but every part of you is to be given to the Lord for his holy purposes. Now we know, friends, that in our walk with the Lord, we know that the, the old man fights back. And that's why we have the great battle and that, that battle which we face day by day. And we know that there are times when we do not do the things we should and we do the things that we wish we did not. We know that. We have to battle with that. We have to cry out to the Lord for that enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit to present all we are to the Lord and to engage in his servants. You know, the Lord doesn't want a dead sacrifice, but the living sacrifice presenting all that you are to him. As I was reading around, it was interesting that one highlighted Abraham and Isaac. Now, God tested Abraham and told him to take his son to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. You can read that back in Genesis. And so Abraham brought his son and was at the point where he even lifted the knife to sacrifice Isaac, but then God provided the substitute. Wonderful picture of the fact that we are saved by substitution. But Abraham was offering a living sacrifice in Isaac in the sense of by killing Isaac, he was sacrificing all his hopes, all his dreams, his clinging to the promise that he would be given a seed which would lead to his descendants being as numerous as the, the sand on the shore, the stars of heaven. He would have literally sacrificed everything he held precious. You see, a living sacrifice is not dead. That's obvious. It's when you offer everything you are, everything you have, everything you hope to be, all your dreams, all your aspirations, and you say, Lord, all of it is yours. That's the commitment that a priest is called to offer. The spiritual sacrifices of our bodies. But then also, we see in the Scriptures, that we're to offer the spiritual sacrifice of praise. Praise. 
Now, in the context of the new covenant priesthood in Christ, we find another part of our commission in Hebrews 13, 15. And it says this, Therefore by him, in Christ, same emphasis as what we find in Peter, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so offered in Christ's name, according to his work, according to his will, according to his person, we are to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. And so the Lord not only wants you, he desires you praise. Do you know what it is to praise the Lord? Do you understand what that means? You know, is it just say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord over and over again? What does it mean to praise him? Well, let me give you some help from the scriptures. It means, firstly, to recite his attributes. Praise in the old covenant is full of the glorious nature of God. His marvelous attributes, his characteristics. You know, if you're not sure what they are, open your Bible, look at the Psalms and see how rich they are. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Or elsewhere, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Reciting God's attributes, praising him with a heart that magnifies the Lord, exalts him for his glory and his greatness, his wisdom, his holiness, honoring him, reverencing him for who he is. And friends, that's why we desire that our worship is rich in the truth, full of God, full of glory. That, that right view of God, that high view of God. And secondly, praise recites his wondrous works. Not only who he is, but what he's done. And when we trace the mighty works of God through the ages, his creative power, his providential workings, but most gloriously, the gospel, the saving plan and purpose of God in sending his own son to be the saviour of sinners, great is the gospel of our glorious God. What did we sing? And can it be that I should gain? An interest in the Saviour's blood as we recite the redemptive works of God. That's praise. Praise isn't just saying, praise the Lord. It's glorying in his attributes. It's delighting in him for who he is. It's exalting his name, rejoicing in his works, giving him glory for that, and doing it, thirdly, with thankful hearts. Thanking him for who he is. Hearts full of praise. Do you know, more and more, one of the... I suppose it's a psalm paraphrase, but one of the hymns that we sing that has really blessed me is Isaac Watts' paraphrase of Psalm 92. Sweet is the work, my God, my King, to praise thy name, give thanks and sing, to show thy love by morning light and talk of all thy truth at night. My heart shall triumph in the Lord. And bless his works, and bless his word, thy works of grace, how bright they shine, how deep thy counsels, how divine. And you know what's so wonderful? It's the progression, looking to the day when we shall praise without the hindrance of sin. In the glory that is to come, then shall I see 
and hear and know all I desired or wished below, and every power find sweet employ in that eternal world of joy. Thrills my heart. It's what worship is. It's not entertainment. It's when the people of God lift their praises, their adoration, their affection, their reverence to God, however imperfectly it may look to the world around us. We do not come also to watch that happen. We come to engage in it together. Now let me bring that right down to each one of us. Do we live like that? Are you someone who is marked by praise? Is your heart filled with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord day by day? Do you know if we're honest, probably our answer is no. We're prone to grumble prone to lose sight of the greatness of God and the gospel. But we should be those who are ever taken up with the, the glory of God and his works and his word and thank him that we have been given to know these things and experience these things and look forward to an eternity full of them, full of Christ, full of him, all of his grace. That's our spiritual sacrifice of praise. And so the true life of the believer comes this, not the externals, but have I given all that I am, my mind, my body, my hope, my aspiration, all of me as a living sacrifice to the Lord? And then am I someone who really praises the Lord? And then here's another spiritual sacrifice. And it's in the, the same passage, actually, Hebrews 13, but verse 16. And it's the spiritual sacrifice of doing what is right and sharing. It says, do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So again, very simple, very clear, very challenging. It's still striking to me the selfishness that marks so many believers. And examining my own heart in this. It's not only sinful, but it's ugly. And it's destructive. Whereas the new covenant priest, the believer, is to do what is right. The opposite of sin and selfishness. It is spiritual conduct that honors the Lord and that reflects the Lord Jesus who always did what was right. As one explains, when you do any righteous thing, any righteous word out of your mouth, any righteous act, Reproving a brother, restoring a brother, loving someone, helping someone, doing any righteous act, studying the word of God, sitting under the preaching of the precious truth. It is a spiritual sacrifice in the name of Christ that glorifies God. And so doing what is right, what the scriptures say is right. And then it's interesting because that is followed by sharing. Again, it's a very simple thing. And it means giving up your resources sacrificially to meet the need of another. That pleases the Lord. Now, I ask myself and I ask you, are we actively seeking to do that? To do the right things from hearts full of praise and love, generous to others? If you would like to, please turn over to Philippians chapter 4. I just want to show you an example of this. Paul, in Philippians 4, is a prisoner in Rome... And the believers at Philippi have just sent him a financial gift. And in this passage, he's expressing his thankfulness for their concern for the gift. And he explains why. And uh, in this passage, verse 10, he says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, he says, I know you've always been concerned for me, but the opportunity had not arisen, but now they've been able to express their concern by sending this gift from the fellowship. And Paul goes on to say that he wasn't speaking from desperation or because he wanted the gift in that sense. He goes on and he says, look, I'm content. I know how to be full. I know how to be hungry. I know how to abound, to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he thanks them for their gift, for their concern, for their generous kindness, even though he's content. But this is the key part in relation to what we're talking about. Look at verse 14. He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He says, you did a good thing before the Lord because you were concerned and you were generous in seeking to share with me and meet my need. So their heart attitude and their corresponding action pleased the Lord. And then he he goes on and he says, look, many others have deserted me. They've neglected me. They've not supported me. Remember when we were in 2 Timothy, he was alone at his initial defense. He said, everybody's forsaken me in Asia. It was so sad. And in verses 15 to 17 of Philippians 4, he says, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Do you see? As the believers at Philippi offered their spiritual sacrifice of doing good and sharing with the Lord's servant in this way, they were in that place which was pleasing to the Lord, all of it in Christ. And verse 18, Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. Then look at the language he uses. The thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The sacrifice of doing what is right, sharing, glorifying to God. But then you might say, well, hold on. Who's going to meet the need of the Philippians if they've sacrificed in this way? Look at verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul loved these Philippian believers and it made his heart rejoice to see that they were serving and offering up spiritual sacrifices in Christ acceptable to God, functioning as a holy priesthood pleasing to the Lord. Okay, last couple and then we'll draw it together. Spiritual sacrifice of being an instrument for the gospel. Romans 15, verse 16. Paul says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering literally as a priest the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is he saying? Well, he's saying that part of his spiritual sacrifice is those that have believed in Christ through his being an instrument of the gospel in the Lord's hands. They are that sacrifice. Only the Lord can say, but Paul has been blessed with the privilege of being used as an instrument in seeing others come to saving faith in the Lord. Now, friends, the outcome is always in the Lord's hands. But the challenge is this. Are we available 
to be used as instruments of the gospel in speaking to others of the Savior? Can we offer that spiritual sacrifice in Christ? Have we had the privilege of being the link in the chain that God has used to bring someone to faith? To do that, you have to be available and willing to speak of the Savior with others. That is a spiritual sacrifice. And then there's the spiritual sacrifice of love, Ephesians 5 verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so that love of Christ, which saw him go to the cross for us, the ultimate sacrifice acceptable to God. But that sacrificial love is to mark our lives. If we say that we love Jesus and follow Jesus, you know, his love should be manifest in our lives. Love which is seen in selfless humility, that which is well-pleasing to the Lord. Spiritual sacrifice of love. And then the spiritual sacrifice of prayer. Revelation 8. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Prayer is a spiritual sacrifice to God offered only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Revelation 8 is such a stunning passage. The seal is opened by the Lamb, and there is silence for a time. And the silence is a great contrast to the, the loudness of the chapters just before and the shouts of worship. Why does God draw this silence? Well, in verse 3 of Revelation 8, an angel is given a golden censer filled with incense, often associated with prayer in the Scriptures and the prayers of the saints. And he carries them up to the throne of God and God silences everything so that he can hear the prayers of his people. How stunning. They are supremely important to him and God concentrates heaven's attention on the cries which ascend from his people to his throne. You know, the world dismisses as insignificant gatherings like this. Prayer meetings, they dismiss, pleading with God. But in God's eyes, these are the most important people on earth, the most significant events taking place. You know, you think about our day and our age and what is happening in the world. Where are the great decisions of our time being taken? Revelation says it's not in the, the conferences of the great men of this world but it's at the throne of the sovereign Lord of the universe. And as priests in Christ, we have access to God in prayer. We can boldly approach him in prayer. That's a staggering thing. When you pray to God, you are praying to the sovereign Lord and you know that you will be heard and you will be accepted in Christ. So friends, they're just a number of spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God when we offer them in and through the Lord Jesus, offering ourselves praise, doing good and sharing, being an instrument of the gospel, selfless love, seeking the Lord in prayer, pursuing those things pleases the Lord. And you know something? They're just the basic things in the life of the believer. 
one who by grace has been saved and made part of that holy priesthood. Are you part of that priesthood by grace? Have you trusted Christ? Do you know him? And if you do, every believer can now with confidence draw near to God. And in Christ we can do that. And in Christ these spiritual sacrifices are made acceptable. And what a privilege to go about these things. What a privilege to serve alongside one another in the, the family of the Lord's people, brothers and sisters knit together, the arena in which these things are to be displayed in the, the local church and beyond. And it's not just attending. It's engaging together, sharing together to do these things that we have been saved to do by the grace of God. We are such a privileged people if we know the Lord a holy priesthood, and may it be that we are helped to offer up these spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, but only ever acceptable in and through Jesus Christ. Praise be to his name. Amen.